Hello, this is Pastor John Edding. How is it good news that God's ways are above my ways? What are God's ways in dealing with sinners who sin? Well, fortunately, God does not think of sin the same way that you and I do. And we know that because Jesus died on a cross to save you from it. He has risen from the grave to hear your prayers. Jesus tells us a parable called the workers in the vineyard to teach us his ways and his thinking about his kingdom of heaven. For the kingdom of heaven is like. God bless the hearer and may you rest in the graciousness of God. Grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. And this is verse 5 of our hymn, In Adam We Have All Been One. Send us thy spirit, teach us truth, thou son, O set us free from fancied wisdom, self-sought ways, to make us one in thee. Amen. All right, so you know that I am a devotee of the dad joke, the terrible pun that uh, causes children to groan. I heard this one, um, it was from a pastor, also a dad, so we'll call him Pastor Dad. Once while driving along I-84 in Oregon, a pastor asked his children why the students in Pendleton did not study fractions. They looked at him rather perplexed until this Pastor Dad pointed to a large sign advertising the Pendleton Roundup a major annual rodeo event. His daughter, aiming a look of utter scorn at him, said, Dad, you are the reason God doesn't talk to us anymore. (laughs) It does seem sometimes uh, God has uh, rather put an end to this voice from heaven technique which he used in the Old Testament, but it is good to remember that God spoke very little actually from the cloud or from a mountain tops in the Old Testament. Most of the times he spoke through the prophets and uh, writings. You know, generations of believers were born, lived, and died between those events. And we're not there with the disciples at Jesus' feet listening to his parables. So, yeah, sometimes it seems like maybe God does seem a bit distant. But Isaiah urges us to to seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon God while he is near. Did we miss our chance? Not at all. Today we're focusing on a text, a part of the text that tells us his ways, this is the Old Testament text, his ways are not our ways. His ways are way above our ways. His thoughts are miles above our thoughts. God's ways are really exemplified in this parable of the vineyard that Jesus tells. God is gracious to sinners, even big sinners. That's part of what we're thinking about today. Now, Jesus portrays a God in the parable with a sense of justice, whose sense of justice seems seriously messed up. 
What is the point of Jesus' parable? Well, I believe that the point of the parable is uncovered or best seen in two ways. First, there is the one key that helps us to unlock a par- the parable's meaning. And I would, it's an interpretive key. That's what I would call it. Uh, that is found in the context of the parable. And then second, Jesus uses a strong comparison and contrast to point about, make his point about the kingdom of heaven. So then we'll look at, after the interpretive key, we'll look at the comparison and the contrast that Jesus makes. So the interpretive key is to today's parable is found in Matthew chapter 19. That's actually the chapter right before our gospel reading. If you have a pew Bible or your own Bible, I invite you to open it up and let's turn there. So immediately, this is again, Matthew chapter 19, and it's really, it starts in verse 16. So immediately preceding this parable is Jesus's interaction with the rich young man. So, and then also, let's not forget the disciples' reaction to this episode. So the rich young man comes, this is in verse 16, starting in verse 16. And of course he says, what shall I do to be saved? And Jesus says, well, what are the commandments? And the rich young man says, well, I have kept all of these commandments. And then Jesus says, well, sell and sell all you possess, have them, and then follow me and you will have treasure in heaven. Then the guy goes away sad. It's really a tragic tale. Then in verse 27, Peter speaks up and says, "Uh, Lord, (laughs) we have left everything. What then will we have? What about us? So the real key to the parable uh, is in Jesus's answer to Peter in verse 29. Let's take a look at that. And Jesus responds, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my sake, my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. So Jesus introduces this parable of the workers of the vineyard by saying anyone who has followed him will receive a hundredfold, a hundred times back, even eternal life. Eternal life. This is an incredibly good gift. And then he says, it is like this. And Jesus tells us this parable in the context that anyone, anyone that follows him has eternal life. Okay, so that's the first thing that we're looking at, the interpretive key found in the context, found in verse 29. But now let's take a look at the second um, area, that uh, task that we want to accomplish today, uh, and that is the comparison, the contrast between the human ways of thinking versus God's ways of thinking. The topic is justice and fairness and Rightness, or what is right. So Jesus compares and contrasts the human, our human way of thinking 
about justice and fairness and what is right with the ways of God and the kingdom of heaven. So to do this, I invite you to take the, the bulletin or your Bible, if you write in your Bible, or you can just take the bulletin and I want to have you circle a few words. Um, there are a few pens or pencils and I'm sure someone can help you. Just raise your hand if you need a pen or a pencil. So let's circle some words to make this comparison and contrast. So in verse 10, there is a word that I would like you to circle. Let me read verse 10. Now, when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. Circle that word, more. So there is a thought that they would receive more. So you think about this desire for more. And I don't, you know, I don't care how much you, you get. If there is someone who has a little bit more, you're not satisfied. It's just part of our human nature. You know, <clears throat> what do we want more of? In our human way of thinking, well, more recognition. And of course, more money, um, more opportunity. But this desire for more comes from this incessant need that we have to compare ourselves to others. And we cannot just not do this. <laughs> we constantly are comparing ourselves to each other, to others. And we notice when we don't have as much as they do. So this more is part of the problem. And of course, that leads us to verse 11. So, and on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house. You can circle the word grumbled. Now, this grumbling is a result of when you, when you don't think that things are fair or just or right. So lots of people grumbled as recorded in God's word. All right, the people of Israel grumbled in the wilderness. Not, there's not enough water. They, they grumbled about Moses, about Aaron. Uh, they grumbled um, when they are just about ready to enter the promised land, this land that God had, was going to give to them. But then they grumbled when they heard the, the men whom Moses had sent out to spy the land, and they came back with a bad report. They grumbled. Back to the wilderness, 40 more years of wandering. The Pharisees and the scribe, they grumbled because Jesus dined with tax collectors and quote-unquote sinners. The onlookers all grumbled when Jesus invited himself to eat at the tax cheat cheater's house, uh, Zacchaeus. And when they saw it, this is Luke 19, uh, verse 7, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. James also issues this warning about grumbling to the church. James chapter 5, verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. And behold, the judge is standing at the door. So you have more, 
and you have grumbling. And then really another word lights up in verse 12. These last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. Circle that word equal. In our human way of thinking, there is an expectation for being equal. And when it is not equal, we grumble and because we want more. And we are actually grumbling because we are made equal to somebody else. And hey, I'm not equal to anybody else. I should have more. I'm talking about human way of thinking. Jesus has made these people in the parable equal, or the master made these people equal. Um, and they didn't do an equal amount of work. So this is not fair. This is not fair. This is not right. You know, let's take, how, let's take seriously how offensive this parable is to the hearer back then and now. You and under, I understand the way that the world works. It makes sense to us. You get what you pay for. There is no free lunch. Uh, you have to work um, this into every aspect of your life. You buy the gas for your car, and you bought the car. The food on your table, the clothes on your back, all of it is something that you have paid for. This parable of Jesus is simply not fair. It's not fair. These people who have worked all day through the scorching heat don't get anything more than the people who work for one hour. And that mindset of fairness and justice and what is right is so fundamental to us. It is ingrained in us. And you have to be careful or you might be called out for being unfair. For example, I noticed that I kind of was wondering why this past week uh, in preschool, uh, the preschool children, and, um, and I also noticed this also with the midweek Bible students, that when the snacks are prepared, the snacks are exactly the same. Okay, the preschoolers, the small kids, especially I was watching them this Thursday, they had their snacks carefully prepared by their teacher. And I noticed that everyone got the same amount of crackers. <laughs> they got the same size dollop of applesauce. And it was an amazing presentation um, because everything was the same. And looking down at this small table with what, maybe uh, 14 plates, every plate filled with in the same way, I thought I was looking at a Zen garden. It was... Um, it was beautiful, it was mesmerizing, except this was a table of snacks and everything was the same. Why the careful doling out of the snacks? Well, you know why. That mindset of fairness and justice and, and what is right is so fundamental to us. Every, every kid at the snack table sees how big the pile of crackers is in front of him and then he sees what the other little, the other little girl has one more cracker. That's not fair. Just ask any parent with a number of children and you will find, as it was true when we raised our children, we humans, whether small or big, are concerned about fairness. So parents, 
feel like they have to be fair. You want your kids you know, to know that you love them equally. Uh, that mindset of fairness and justice and what is right, it's so fundamental to us. And this is what the parable is playing on, this sense of justice and fairness. Jesus knows this about us. He knows this. And the master says, you know how this will work. This is how much pay you will receive for your work. And then Jesus has this turn at the end where they don't get what they should get for their work. And it is, humanly speaking, highly offensive. And it's deliberate. <laughs> he could have paid the first guys first and then let them go away and then paid the last guys and no one would have known. Instead, he reverses it and makes them watch it. It's not only offensive, it is deliberately offensive. <laughs> the human way of thinking is captured in those three words, equal, grumbling, and more. Then look at what the master says, and I will highlight uh, two words here in, in verse 15. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? So underline, belongs to me. All things belong to the master. It's the same thing. It's true with God as well. It's the same thing with God. All things belong to God after after all, God is the maker of everything. And what can we give him? As the psalmist says in Psalm 50, he's the, the, the cattle of a thousand hills belongs to God. What could we possibly give him? And then underline the word generosity, because that's what he says next in verse 15. Or do you begrudge my generosity? So this master who owns all things, all things belong to him, he is good. The word for generosity in the Greek is, is simply the word good. The master is saying, are, we, are you thinking badly because of me, because I am good? So God who owns everything and is generous to us is operating on a holy other economy, and we call it grace. As far as grumbling, and his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts are higher than his thoughts, and this is the way that, and we see this, we see this with the way that Jesus has worked for our salvation. Did he grumble about winning salvation for us? Peter is quoting from Isaiah 53, when he writes in his first letter about the ways and the thoughts of Jesus for you. This is 1 Peter chapter 2. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth, and when he was reviled, he did not revile in return, didn't grumble. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin, and live to righteousness, and by his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus did not grumble to become the shepherd and overseers of your souls. How about this idea of being equal? Did Jesus want to be equal here? 
Well, in terms of um, the incarnation, God becoming um, flesh, uh, this is spoken um, by Paul in Philippians chapter 2. Did Jesus want to be equal? Well, Paul writes, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. God, the God-man, Jesus, born in a manger to be the Savior for all mankind. Whoever would have thought of that, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And he came to save you and me from sin. And then that word more. Did Jesus want more? Yes, he did. But it's not what you're thinking. <laughs> he wanted more, but not in the human way of thinking. He wanted the joy that was set before him, you and yours. He wanted more joy in heaven. You know, he wanted all people to follow him. His eye was on all people to follow him and inherit eternal life through his shed blood, shed for your sins to, to make you clean and holy before God. And his eye was set on more joy in heaven, a vision of joy we see in Revelation, the, the church triumphant, the marriage of the lamb and his bride, the church decked out in fine linen, bright and pure. As John describes this vision in Revelation, Chapter 19 of Revelation. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Did, did Jesus want more? You bet. More joy in heaven. More rejoicing than we could ever imagine. And it would break our hearts. Not, not, not with tears of sadness. Those get wiped away. But with more rejoicing over the redeemed whose inheritance is eternal life. And that is the more that Jesus wanted for you, for me. So Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and scorned and despised the shame and is of the cross and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. His ways are higher than your ways and his thoughts higher than your thoughts, my thoughts. Praise be to God. Praise be to God for this gospel. Praise be to God for the gospel may be preached to all nations, all peoples, and then the Lord will return. And there in heaven, we will enjoy this eternal life that Christ Jesus has won for, for us. And it's not like some eternal life is better than others. In heaven, we're not going to be looking, we're not going to be comparing is his eternal life longer than my eternal life? <laughs> no, we're not going to be doing that. Eternal life is a gift, and it's a gift as good as it gets. And according to Isaiah and to Jesus in our parable, eternal life is available to all people. And do we understand this generosity of God and his kingdom? Do we understand his grace towards us through Jesus? No, and I do not really understand grace, but God does, and he has been gracious to you and me. And that, that's what counts. And he teaches you and me grace. It's an absolute grace, which the world simply just does not understand. God's grace is a mystery. God's thoughts are way above our thoughts. 
way in his ways, way, way above our ways. We have all heard the phrase, don't just stand there, do something. Today we need to turn that around. Don't just do something, stand there. Stand in the grace of God. Dear child of God, don't just do something, stand and rest in the grace of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.